My name is Wayne Huffrichter, owner and operator of Huffrichter Farms in Shirts, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas, agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Christmas is here, and we've got a special Christmas edition of Texas Ag Today ready to roll for you. All you got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. For wheat growers in the Texas Panhandle, the weather has been creating some issues. I'm James Hunt, and we'll talk about that on Texas Ag Today. The role microbes play in soil health and the sustainability of crops. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have more on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news, and a special look back at growing up on a farm at Christmas. That's coming up later to wrap up today's show. It was 20 years ago, December 23rd of 2003, that the cattle industry was blindsided with the discovery of the first case of mad cow disease in the United States. A lot of folks in the cattle business still remember where they were when the news was dropped on the American public like a ton of bricks. One of those is Don Close. He currently works for Terrain, but 20 years ago, he was handling risk management for a Texas panhandle feed yard. So at that particular time, I was uh, VP of risk management for Aztec Cattle Company out of Perford, Texas. And uh, at that time, Aztec was the fifth largest feeding entity in the U.S., and mm. I think they had the max had a total of four feed yards. Canada had already discovered BSE earlier in that year, causing a big disruption in cattle movement between our two countries. But Close says the stuff really hit the fan when it was discovered in a Canadian-born Holstein dairy cow in Washington state. You know, initially it was just trying, the, the, the biggest challenge was to, uh, with the futures market lock limit down there for, what, three days or whatever, three, I think it was three days. Um, and we had uh, we had huge huge volumes of, of option positions on that uh, were were very low price put uh, put strategy in place for risk management at that particular time. And that first morning, I had uh, basically worthless options that were worth seven dollars and fifty cents a hundred, and and trying to liquidate those positions and even though the price was there couldn't get any takers 
Uh, we couldn't move cattle. It was, it was just one of those you didn't know what to do. It was a big mess that took a long time to clean up. But with 20 years of hindsight, Close thinks the beef industry handled the issue well. You know, with hindsight, I think we did. And, and I'm not even going to take credit for this. I, I caught an interview with uh, Colin Woodall uh, recently, and he, and he was referencing this. And he said, you know, while, while we most certainly don't want to go back to that again, but that there were actually positives that came out of it that have we learned how to handle these black swan events. And, and I, I, think he, I think there's a lot of merit to that. Close also credits USDA under the leadership of Agriculture Secretary Ann Veneman for doing a very good job of handling a very bad situation. The weather is creating some issues for wheat growers in the Texas panhandle. James Hunt reports from Amarillo. With the exception of the northernmost counties, the Texas panhandle suffered through a very dry summer and fall. So the rains that have been received throughout the region here in December have been most welcome. Unfortunately, Texas A&M AgriLife agronomist Jordan Bell says the recent moisture came too late for those who were hoping to grow wheat to provide winter forage for cattle. It's not going to happen for the majority of the panhandle. Again, the producers in the northern tier, they have good wheat fields, good fall winter pasture, but the majority of the panhandle does not have that winter forage. And so that's definitely impacting both our livestock and our crop producers. Dr. Bell says for the wheat being grown for grain, there's still potential, but the unseasonably warm temperatures we've been experiencing are a concern. When we talk about wheat in the winter, it comes in and out of dormancy. And during extended periods of warm weather, that wheat's going to come out of dormancy and it's going to start using this water. So the rainfall that we have received is not necessarily rainfall that's going to be stored for spring growth and spring development. That plant is using that water, which, you know, that's okay as long as we do receive timely rainfall in the spring. We keep on talking about El Nino arriving, and aside from a very wet May and June, we've really yet to see El Nino show up. And so... If we do not have a wet spring, we could potentially use all of this moisture and really see a hit in production. That's Texas A&M AgriLife agronomist Jordan Bell. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Microbes play a big role in soil health. Tom Nicoletti visits with a company that specializes in soil microbes. My guest today is Zach Carlson. He is manager of agronomy for Sound Agriculture. And Zach, first give our listeners a quick synopsis of what Sound Agriculture does for producers across the country. So Sound Agriculture is hyper-focused on creating a more agile and resilient food system. We do this by focusing ourselves on making crops more sustainable with the nutrients that are already in the soil. So our product source is a foliar applied chemistry that activates the native microbes in the soil to unlock phosphorus and also uh, fix nitrogen, getting the soil health to increase across the nation. 
So for Texas farmers, uh, how do microbes play uh, a role in soil health? So Texas farmers are vitally important to the globe, really. We are focused on cotton, sorghum, corn, wheat. We're really looking at how do we get a return on investment that is just vitally important for the sustainability of Texas growers that's down there, specifically in cotton. We're trying to increase lint quality and also the tonnage that's coming off of that so that we can make a good return on investment. How can growers tap the, the microbes into the soil to get more nutrients to the crops? Through the root system, we are able to create a ecosystem that goes back and forth and every one of the roots that is in that soil, if it can tap into nutrients that are native to it, but they're tied up based upon soil characteristics, there's only a benefit that can happen on the backside. So we're the activator of those microbes. That is Zach Carlson. He is with Sound Agriculture. I'm Tom Nicoletti at the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Researchers are looking for a way to clean up the infectious agents that could spread chronic wasting disease from the environment. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And forecasters say we are in for a cold, wet winter, and that could affect baby calves. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next right here on Texas Ag Today. When we moved to Texas, we were like fish out of water. We didn't know anyone in our neighborhood until our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent came to the house. She was so helpful and reassuring, a friendly face with that Texan hospitality I'd heard about. When we purchased a Texas Farm Bureau insurance policy, we knew we were making the right choice. We knew our family would be protected. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an insurance agent who's a true neighbor. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Forecasters say we are in for a cold, wet winter. Dr. Bob Judd says baby calves could use some extra protection from the cold. Maureen Hansen indicates in Bovine Veterinarian that calf jackets have been proven to help young calves tolerate cold stress and improve health and growth during the winter months. Young calves, and in fact most young animals, do not have large body fat reserves to convert for body temperature, and their large percentage of surface area relative to body size also causes them to lose body heat quickly when the environmental temperature is low. A recent study out of England compared 40 Holstein calves reared from December through February. Half of them received calf jackets from 2 to 12 weeks of age, and the other half did not. Researchers found the calves with jackets gained over 11 pounds more than the ones without jackets. The calves with jackets also ate less feed, had increased last rib girth measurement, indicating improved rumen development, and a lower incidence of scours. However, there are some tips to using these jackets on your dairy calves. Be sure the coats are dry before fitting the calves with the jackets and adjust the straps to accommodate for growth. The straps on the jackets can rub the calves and cause abrasions, so check the straps routinely. 
One question is when to start using the jackets, and one suggestion is when the daytime high and nighttime low temperatures added together are less than 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Another option is when three consecutive nighttime temperatures are less than 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Continue to use the jackets while the ground is frozen and use clean, dry, deep bedding in the calf hutches. If the weather warms up for a day or two, check to make sure the calves are not sweating under the jackets. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Researchers are looking for a way to clean up the infectious agents that could spread chronic wasting disease. Jessica Domel tells how in today's Wildlife Report. Research on chronic wasting disease is underway right here in Texas, across the United States, and in other countries across the globe. Dr. Peter A. Larson from the University of Minnesota's Vet School recently discussed some of that research with the Texas Parks and Wildlife Commission. He said scientists are looking at how CWD is spread, how it may be detected, and other aspects of the neurological deer disease. And one area of research that we're doing now is that we're looking at scrapes and mineral licks. And you can actually leverage, because the deer are congregating in those areas, you can take environmental samples from those and see whether or not CWD is in the region. And then you know that you need to pivot and maybe um, focus your calling efforts in those regions. And then also, I mean, with, with all the feeding that goes on, not just in, in Texas, but you know, throughout the U.S., you can leverage that um, with these sentinels to see if you have hot spots on a ranch or in a wild scenario that you can go in and discover and then target and call those. Teams in the United States and in South Korea are developing methods to remediate the environment where CWD prions, which can spread the disease, exist to stop it from spreading it to uninfected animals. CBD is, was introduced in South Korea, they've developed methods to, in, to uh, remediate the environment. And I, I understand how complex it is in a wild situation um, within the fence. It's a little bit more contained, but it's still complex. I do think that there are new avenues that we can explore to remediate the environment. But bottom line is there's no easy answer with CWD. That was Dr. Peter A. Larson from the University of Minnesota. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Christmas is here and it always brings back memories of growing up on a farm at Christmas. I'll share a few of my memories with you coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau has served farm families in rural Texas for nearly 90 years. We're pleased to offer new affordable health care coverage choices for all Texans through Texas Farm Bureau Health Plans. You do not need to be a member to inquire and apply. Plans are available anytime. There is no open enrollment period. Our United Healthcare Choice Plus network of providers is one of the largest available. For more information about the different plans, how to apply, or to get a quote for you, your family, or your small business, call 833-TX-HEALTH or visit 833-TXHEALTH.com. Well, folks, Christmas is here. And if you're like me, this is a time of year when you think back to your childhood memories of Christmas on the farm. If you'll just indulge me a couple of minutes, I'd like to tell you a little bit about my childhood memories 
of Christmas on our farm. The farm is a special place to spend Christmas. I grew up on a farm in the Piney Woods. Unfortunately, it wasn't the Piney Woods of Texas. I was just over the Sabine River in the Piney Woods of Northwest Louisiana. I tell everyone I was born 20 miles from the Texas border. Took me 50 years to get here, but I'm finally here and I'm a proud Texan now. But those days growing up in rural Louisiana, out in the Piney Woods of Northwest Louisiana, just south of Shreveport, were very special ones for me. I grew up on a dairy and beef cattle operation. The dairy wasn't ours. My dad worked on the dairy. He was a farmhand. But we were there so much, it was like home to me. It was just down the road from our house. And so I grew up on the dairy farm, as well as our own little farm. We had 85 acres and about 40, 50 beef cows that we ran on our own. Neither one of those occupations pay a lot of money. So we didn't have much as children, but Christmas was always a special time. My dad stayed in the woods this time of year, deer hunting. And of course, when I got old enough, he took me with him. But every year he would always look for a little cedar tree out in the woods. He'd cut it down, bring it home. And that was our tree. Yeah, we always had a real tree, but we didn't pay for it. Came straight out of nature. We had holly bushes on the side of our house. My mom would go out there and make cuttings off of those holly bushes with those beautiful red berries and decorate the house. Dad would bring home those huge pine cones that came out of those piney trees in the piney woods. She'd decorate with those too. And there was always mistletoe. We lived in a little oak grove. And there was mistletoe all in those oak trees. We couldn't reach it, but we'd see who could shoot it down with a 22. And we'd always get that mistletoe and decorate the house with that as well. And boy, did my mom love to bake. Our house was always filled with the wonderful smells of chocolate fudge, peanut brittle, and my personal favorite, banana raisin cake wasn't really a cake. It's what we call banana raisin bread today, but she would pour it into a butt cake pan and make it into the shape of a cake. So we called it banana raisin cake. And right before she died 20 years ago, I asked her if she would write the recipe down for me. There was no written recipe. So I asked her if she would put it on paper and she did in her own handwriting. And I still have it today. In fact, Just a couple of days ago, my daughters and I went to the kitchen, pulled out my mom's old recipe, and we made that banana raisin bread for Christmas, just like mom used to do all those years ago. And family was always there. I was lucky to have a grandmother who thought her sole purpose in life was to outdo Santa Claus. My granny and papa would show about a week before Christmas. Station wagon loaded down with gifts for all of us kids, me and my two younger sisters. And they would stay a whole week. They just lived in Shreveport. It was only about an hour drive, but they didn't drive back home. No, they came down and spent a whole week with us at Christmas. And it was just so wonderful having my mom, my dad, my sisters, Papa, my granny. We'd sit around the table and play these huge games of canasta. Everybody laughing and talking. The house 
full of those wonderful smells of that banana raisin cake and that chocolate fudge and that peanut brittle, surrounded by those beautiful decorations straight out of nature, that tree out of the piney woods, those pine cones, those holly bush clippings and berries. Heck, I even remember the chores being fun at Christmas. You know, getting bundled up and going out there to load the truck up with hay, put out hay for the cows every day, then wrapping up the day with a couple of hours on the deer stand before dark. Wow. When I think back on those days, my God, I feel like I was the luckiest kid on the planet. And I really feel sorry for folks who didn't get to experience growing up on a farm at Christmas. A good friend of mine and fellow farm broadcaster Mark Ophold explains it like this. Christmas on the farm. The chores are almost done. The work isn't as hard today. In fact, it's almost fun. The barn windows are frosted over, but the heat lamps are on inside. The last sow farrowed late last night. Thank God she's still alive. Here, here comes my neighbor on his old John Deere. He's returning my wagon he's had almost a year. He's worked hard this year to keep two farms afloat. He's one of those farmers who never loses hope. I can see his stock cows out by the pond. They seem to know there is something special going on. In fact, all the animals are acting different in a way. Do you suppose they know it's Jesus' birthday today? The neighbor has parked the wagon and is headed home again. The kids have their noses to the window wondering where I am. We have to get to church. We're all singing in the choir. Then home to open presents and to sit and rest a while. I better get inside. I'm starting to get cold. But these moments at Christmas, I give my heart to hold. A farm is where it started. In a stable long ago. Christmas on the farm. How I love it so. I'm Mark Oppold. Merry Christmas. Thanks, Mark. That's Mark Oppold. Many of you may have seen him in the past on RFD TV. Well, that's a look back at my memories of Christmas. Thanks for indulging me your time. And I hope that maybe I have jogged some of your memories of Christmas on the farm. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.